Hebrews chapter 12, and I'll read the first two verses before Paul comes to tell us about them. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It's always important to remember the context of verses, especially short texts when we preach from them. Um, I think I did 2005 and six. I took two years almost to go through just chapter 11. <laughs> so if it sounds like a lot of information at times, it's kind of, and jumbled information, that's uh, probably why combining things. Um, the um, writer or the preacher, I believe is speaking to people who are in danger of slipping away from the faith and so having made uh, the point, uh, point over and over again in the first ten chapters he begins to illustrate the point of what persevering faith looks like by giving us a survey of the whole Old Testament. Um, uh, it really is a remarkable passage. If you study carefully uh, chapter 11 and go back read all the passages, you will cover major, well, you'll cover the whole Old Testament from Genesis uh, to the end of the prophets because those are his subjects. So I just, you know, skimming across uh, uh, the waves here, uh, attempting to, dis to 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 really zero down on more information, but the, the preacher himself, and being faithful to the text, he just gives us this 30,000-foot overview of the Bible. A very similar passage with some remarkable insights is Stephen's sermon before he is martyred in Acts chapter 7. I encourage you to look at that as well. And just kind of go, if you want to just kind of get a big picture of the whole Old Testament, look at those uh, messages. Well, I, I believe that verses 1 and 2 actually belong with the whole of chapter 11 in terms of thought processes. And you see that here with this connecting word, therefore. The only other place you find this word in the New Testament is in 1 Thessalonians. And it's in a similar way. It's not the usual, therefore. It's a therefore that points uh, specifically to the application of what has preceded 
uh, in a way the other therefore is you always ask what that therefore is there for. Uh, it, it still serves that same purpose. And the metaphor that is used is that of an athletic contest. Uh, I've had the privilege of traveling in, um, in uh, several of the ancient countries, and whether it's uh, Egypt, or Israel, or Jordan, or, or um, Turkey. It's interesting to me what the tour guides seem to be the proudest of is the Roman city. They want you to see their Roman city. And they want to take you out either to the Decapolis and see one of the Roman cities there, or they want to take you to to the ruins outside of Joppa. And, and um, I have a confession. Kind of boring. <laughs> there, there's like okay. After you've seen a few, uh, not all, a few rocks laying around, a few capitals smashed, and and uh, and they all have the same kind of same architecture. You could tell they were a communist society. They did everything. They did, repeated the same pattern over and over. So I'm not saying if you've seen one Roman ruin, you've seen them all, but. That's the way it feel, felt to me uh, at times. Because there's a main road, and then there are things that are off that road, like the gymnasium, and then there's the, the uh, temples to the false gods, and then you come down uh, to the city, and one side is the amphitheater, where they had their dramatic performances, and the other side is the hippodrome, which is like the stadium, and you'll see the ruins of the stadium. I, have, I haven't been to Rome, but from what I've read about Rome, uh, it's similar. It's, uh, they have the Colosseum is a little bigger, and, and, you, and you do have Hippodrome. And if you've seen the movie Ben-Hur, I hope you have. If you, if you haven't seen Ben-Hur, consider your education incomplete and go <laughs> and spend four hours watching uh, Charlton Heston. Not, is it Charlton Heston? It's, yeah, I think it is. And, and uh, his his more iconic next to the Ten Commandments performances. And uh, and it is um, this picture that the writer is pointing to, the Hippodrome. Uh, he's pointing to a athletic contest which took place in the Hippodrome. It would be in the stadium uh, here. We have some similar and the imagery that he is drawing on is we are running a race in front of a great crowd that's gathered to watch the race. Um, I, I can count on two fingers all the races the, that I've run <laughs> on purpose. <laughs> In my life, I think my daughter taught me talked me into running for her sorority one time, and it was very. And I was really happy just to finish that race. I think I ran for something else, and the same thing. I'm I'm not built for uh, running cross country. Uh, it's a, uh, to me, it's a, and, but essentially, this is a cross country race that he's pointing to in a stadium surrounded by witnesses. Uh, that's the, the picture. 
And what you have to have to do well in one of those, it's not a sprint. We're not talking about a, a sprint. We're not some, talking about a race that's over quickly. We're talking about a race that requires endurance. Um, so how do you run the race? And that's, that's the subject. These others that have gone before have finished the race. They have been admitted to the Racing Hall of Fame, and now they are sitting in the stadium observing the race. That is the motivation. It really is an extension of um, chapter 11, beginning at, at verse 1. He's told us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, and then he's begun to list all the various ways that uh, different um, men and women of God completed the race. This word, therefore, since you've done this, you have all these examples of people who have persevered in their faith from Genesis to the present time. You have seen the outcome. You've seen what has occurred. So you prepare for your race in like manner. And I really have just two points. In verse 1, the preparation for the race, and then actually running the race. The picture here, again, is the actual day of the race with the great hippodrome filled with spectators. Again, very much like one of our modern stadiums. And, and, the, and the crowd is described, uh, the, the witnesses are described as a cloud. I mean, if you watch uh, sporting events, um, I've, I know that the COVID the pandemic is over, but I'm observing, uh, at least in the South, <laughs> observing how full the stadiums are with no social distancing and no masking. So, uh, but that's a picture. That's a picture of what the Christian life is like and how we are observed. Um, now, Crowds aren't racing. In this case, it's very clear that the crowds sitting and observing have finished their race, and now they are observing us and encouraging us and in, in ours. They are, they are there to encourage those who race. Now, the preparation for the race has taken place long since. I'm talking about the actual getting up to the starting blocks to go. What do you have to do? Well, first you have to take off uh, all extraneous uh, clothing in a Roman race. Um, modesty was not a virtue in the ancient Roman world. If you know anything about athletic contests, or you've seen pic artistic pictures of the athletic contests there, it, it only involved men, and it involved them with little or no clothing whatsoever because they were encumbrances to doing their best. The crowd is encouraged to, to uh, cheer them on. And so they, they put aside their robes and their heavy clothing, any 
any, anything that keeps them from running the race. Um, you know, it's tempting to make this a New Year's sermon about losing weight, you know, just, just <laughs> slightly. Uh, that preparation took place uh, months and months in advance in training, and it certainly could be included, but it's, it's more of the extraneous things that a person would put aside in order to actually run. You wouldn't run a race in heavy boots and heavy overcoat. You wouldn't run a race um, <clears throat> with, um, with in, in your, in your uh, special finery. You would, you would get down to what you needed uh, to be the lightest and the fastest. Now sin is compared to that weight. It's not only the sin, but it is um, the cares of this life. Psalm, the psalmist says in Psalm 38, 14, For my iniquities have gone over my head. They are like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. Uh, we cannot carry our own sin and run a race that's effective. The Lord Jesus in Luke 21 verse 34 says, Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down, same word, weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. There are all kinds of things that can weigh us down and keep us from running the race that is victorious. We see them. We see them in this cast of characters. We mentioned some of those things this morning um, uh, in the life of, of, of Samson, uh, in the life of, of uh, all of these luminaries of the faith. The things that, uh, like bad company, uh, the Apostle Paul warns the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, um, th 34 that don't be deceived bad company corrupts good morals bad company weighs you down people who there are people in this world who love to make themselves better by dragging you along in their sin um, being preoccupied with with those uh, things in our past that weigh us down and, and, and uh, keep us from progressing in the Christian faith. In this time of a new year, I think it's very appropriate that we think about those things. Think about those things that do turn our hearts away from the Lord. We, we live in an age of incredible, addictive things. Um, I've done quite a bit of counseling with young people, and and uh, I used to talk in premarital counseling about you know the importance of leaving and cleaving, and it used to be number one on the list of marital stressors was were in law situations, 
that's no longer the case. Dow personally corrected me. He says the number one, you know, the number one thing that causes distress in young marriages today is video games. I was absolutely shocked. I, I would add pornography to that list. It's rampant, uh, and not just among um, men, but women as young women as well. There, there's all kinds of propensity and proclivity to escape. We have uh, legalized um, narcotics today that almost anybody can get a prescription for. We, we, and we have the illicit things that are even more rampant, as well as the old things of, of alcohol and, and, uh, uh, and just the abuse of food uh, in and of itself. These things are things that encumber our walk, our, our race. Uh, we cannot get up to the line and maintain the discipline of a long race if these things heaped upon us. Um, again, it's not a sprint. It's a, a long race. It's a cross-country race, I believe, with a, with a, with a stadium. Imagine such a thing. Uh, I, my... Um, Two of my daughters ran country. I've enjoyed hearing about Lydia Jane's cross-country uh, racing adventures, and some of you have been familiar with that sport. To me, it's like the purest sport that a young person could involve in because you go there and you, you run through this obstacle course in various parts of our beautiful state, and then you're, in about 25 to 30 minutes, you're done, and you get to go home. It's just a wonderful thing uh, for a parent, anyway. But, it's, but along the way, there, there are rocks, there are, there are obstacles, there are uh, roots and, and uh, branches and mud at times. And the goal of that race is just to finish. You have your, wherever you finish for your team, you score points for your team. And I believe that's kind of a picture of what we have here. It's the point is you're on the course, you begin the course, and you finish the course. And if you finish the course, you win. And that takes preparation. It takes discipline. It takes spiritual discipline as well uh, to to train ourselves by the ordinary means of grace to have a settled purpose that we're not only going to begin the race, but we will finish the race. So there's the preparation. This is what's before us. How do we run the race? And verse 2 tells us we do it by looking Jesus. That's how we run the race. The eye of our soul is to look to Jesus. It, it, it should be the subtle purpose of our mind and soul to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, uh, love. we do that wonderful hymn, Be Thou My Vision, over and over again, and we'll keep doing it because it's so wonderful, because it, but because it speaks to this point. How do we look to Jesus? We look to him spiritually. Um, 
In John's Gospel, chapter 8, there is from our Lord Jesus the ultimate example of what this is. And I, I believe in part this is where Be Thou My Vision comes from. Verse 55, eight, chapter John 8, 55. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced that he would see my day. This is the Lord Jesus speaking. You know, this is 2,000 years before Jesus is born of the Virgin Mary. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and he was, and, and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Abraham had his eyes fixed on Jesus. They thought it was a big deal that any, any person would, alive at their time would claim to have seen Abraham. Jesus turns it around. Before Abraham was, I am. And, and translated from the Koine Greek back to Hebrew, that's God's covenant name. And the Jews knew exactly what he was saying, and they picked up stones to stone him because they refused to believe in who he was. Sometimes you hear this sermon preached. You know, I, don't, I don't think this is the right analogy. You know, if you're a sprinter, you know, you want to preach this like, you look, if you're going to try to run a sprint, a straight sprint, you try to focus on an object at the end of the field and run straight to it. And so you don't deviate from, from that line. But that's, again, it's not a sprint. It's, a, it's a, a distance race that's in view here. The, 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 the picture is you look to the leader. And, and, and I understand, I'm, again, having done, having done it, you look for someone ahead of you. And you look someone at the very head who is finishing the race and you focus on that person. Maintaining your distance with that person. Well, that person for all of us is Jesus. We look to him in order to finish the race. How do you look to Jesus? Any day it snows a little bit, and I come to church, I... I vacillated over the years. Do you close the church when it snow? How much snow? And uh, and I and I'm always uh, I'm I always try to get here early and look how bad the sidewalks are and and uh, because I I had that view for years until our, our last insurance agent told us that the guess what the number one way most people die at church right slipping on ice anyway so. It's not, it's, believe it or not, it's not COVID. You get in, in the choir COVID. Um, maybe it has changed. I don't know. Uh, 
Uh, I don't want to make light of any of those things because those are serious things. So, so we take great care. And I am, I am not kidding. I'm glad we had the live stream available. But again, live stream is wonderful uh, for uh, uh, situations like this. But it's no, again, no substitute for the gathered worship of God's people morning and evening. And, and we all know that. But the, the, um, I always think of Charles Spurgeon as a young boy who, who everyone was snowed in on a Lord's Day. And, and he, the Holy Spirit had moved on him to have seeking faith. And he passed church after church in a snowstorm until he finally walked by a primitive Methodist church. And when he went in, he said it was obvious that, that no one, uh, the preacher was snowed in, and that the only one who was there to preach was, he thought he was a janitor. And, and uh, he, he, he listened for a few, there was like four people, four people in the congregation. And he's sitting in the back by himself and uh, but the old man takes from takes his text uh, from Isaiah, the end of Isaiah, where it says, uh, "Look, look to me, all the ends of the earth, and be saved." And he points to Spurgeon sitting on the back row, and he says, "Young man, what are you looking at? You're in a lot of trouble." And if you don't put your faith in Christ, you'll perish. And that is the moment that Spurgeon was converted. The Holy Spirit does something uniquely in gathered worship. And we should never gloss over it. We never know where who those are who have seeking faith, who come under the hearing of the Word of God. Motivation. What is our motivation to look to Jesus? The author, or it says in the ESV, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. The preacher motivates. He's a master. Later, the writer of Hebrews is a master motivator. He does he uses neck uh, motivation, and he uses positive motivation. He would have been a great coach. He knows how to do both, and sometimes we need both. Sometimes we need the positive affirmation of the Word of God, like it says in Philippians four thirteen. I can do all things spiritually. I can do all things in Christ, through Christ, who strengthens me. And sometimes we need the negative teaching or instruction, warning that comes from our Lord Jesus in John 15, verse 1, when he says, Depart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, you can contribute nothing to your salvation. 
the Lord Jesus Christ is the author of faith. It says founder of faith. Similar word translated. Jesus is the captain. He is the initiator. He is the fountain. He is the goal of faith. All of these who died by faith, who did these courageous deeds by faith, did it through the object of their faith, through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Focus is everything. Uh, you can lose your focus by focusing on the crowd. You can lose your focus by, by walk, look, looking at those who are watching you or just thinking of those who are watching you. Um, it's a big example. I'll, I'll use a football illustration again, Jay. <laughs> Watch one of those this year with the Arkansas Razorbacks. It's one of the worst I've ever seen in, in, in this wonderful team that finished so incredibly well. I'm so proud of that, them. Um, but at the Georgia game, the crowd completely, totally caused them to lose their focus. They could never get untracked after the dismal lack of focus at the very beginning. And this is, this is what, this is we have to quit looking at other people, looking at other things. If focus on the thing that is in front of us, we will fail. And what are we to focus on? We're to focus on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in us to take the focus off of ourselves and to put our focus on Jesus. Satan does everything he can possibly do to get us to focus on other things but Christ. The Word of God tells us not to look at this world not to look at our enemies, not to look at anything else but him, but to focus on Jesus. And that's why we gather on Sunday morning. That's why we gather on Sunday evening. That's why we gather in our various Bible studies, Sunday school classes, our various fellowship groups. Everything we do is to help us maintain our, get our focus off of ourselves and put ourselves in utter dependence upon Christ. We should never be happy with mere religious exercises. We should never be happy with merely going through the motions of going to church and taking the Lord's Supper and, and gathering, uh, you know, just for the purpose of gathering. But at the same time, these are the ordinary means that God uses to grow us up in our faith. Because he is the author, and it says here, another, another way to translate that word is finish of our faith. So important.
to get a handle on. It's the Christian life is not about doing. It's about done. It's about Jesus having finished the work of salvation. And why did he do it? He did it for the joy that was set before him, for the glory that would come to him. He despised the shame of the cross. He despised the mocking, the evil words, the slander, the false teaching. He despised being stripped naked before the world, being spit in his face, a crown of thorns pressed on his head, his flesh beaten, beaten off his body. He despised it. He despised hell itself on the cross. Why? For the joy set before him. I watched all these young men compete over this weekend. I, I thought back to all the all the months. I mean, they, they as soon as they finish, they start torture again uh, uh, to go through these all these excruciating things, and and for the hope of, of maybe a, a moment of glory. And it is a great truth that when you when any team wins, there's glory. For everybody, down to the water boy, down to the to the to the old alumni in the stands, you know, who, who for some reason it just kind of radiates out. Again, that's a kingdom principle. It's just it's uh, it's enticing, and that's why it's so idolatrous. Uh, uh, if, if we're not careful, uh, those things in this world, because there's only one God. There's only one Lord Jesus. There's only one Holy Spirit. And he endured ultimate suffering. He didn't just get gassed and wind sprints. He didn't just get, you know, recover from some terrible injury. He went to the cross. He endured the cross, despising the shame. And he willingly endured it out of his love for you if you are a child of God. He took upon himself the horror and the, and the shame of the sins of all who would turn to him and ask for forgiveness. And why? To sit down at the right hand of God. To, see, to, to receive ultimate glory and honor. Where he sits and reigns and he stands and reigns. Where he intercedes at the right hand of God for you. great good news for us is we share his glory if our faith and trust is in him alone let's pray father bring us to that place of glory not to us but to you alone 
And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.